You are listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode number 21. Rush out on an uptown train, doors open, and she walks in, she's soaking, caught in the rain, her skin shines crystalline. This is the Give Me Five podcast, where each week we bring you five things that we found interesting or entertaining. That can be movies, music, award shows, or crime novels. <laughs> I'm joined, as always, by Rob. Hey, guys. And Greg. Whew, man. I am excited. It's 2018. I ha- just drank a triple venti soy latte. I can tell. And I'm going to podcast until my heart explodes. And tonight, we are joined by the author of the book that we've reviewed previously, S.K. Nichols. Hi, S.K. Hello, that would be me. Thanks for joining us. I I am very happy to be here. And we are happy to have you. All right, so this week, we are going to talk about the new television show, The Gifted, the movie that we've all been looking forward to, Jumanji, the Gold Globe Awards 2018, the book Moonlight City Drive by Brian Pone, and we're going to talk to... S.K. Nichols. Yay! Woo! So, heads up, guys. This is a review show. There will probably be spoilers. We will try to avoid any major twists. For example, if you did not know that Orlando is the happiest place on Earth. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Anaheim is the happiest place on Earth. Orlando was where dreams come true. Or that Jimmy has a life-size hug pillow in the shape of Guillermo del Toro to cuddle with on cold nights. Then you might want to check back later. That one's totally true. That's totally true. The first, the first half might have been broken, but the first, the second one is one hundred percent true. I've seen it. It's got all kinds of weird stains on it. I don't know what that's about, but you know, whatever. Oh, wow. <laughs> if you yet again, if you'd like to contact us to complain about Rob, you can find us on Facebook by searching for the Give Me Five Podcast F I V E Five, not the number five. You can find us at Give Me Five Pod at Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at Give Me Five Podcast at Gmail dot com. And as usual, please leave us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you're using. It helps us out a lot. And we have a store. We have a store, guys. Store! uh, We have our very awesome logo as created by Katie Bernier. Or Bernier, I believe. Sorry, Katie. And over the Christmas break, when we had a little bit of time, I put together a store for us. We can get t-shirts and mugs and... And babies. Oh, no, wait. You said store, not store. Never mind. Yeah, store, not store. (laughs) That's my other store on the dark web. <laughs> I love it when people say here. dark web. Yeah. Anyway, you can get you know, mugs, there's bags, there's cell phone cases, all sorts of cool stuff with our logo on it. Um, we'll add things in there as more ridiculous stuff happens. The way to get to that store is um, it's on threadless.com and it's giveme5podcast.threadless.com. You can, of course, go to Threadless and search for Give Me 5 Podcast. And if there's any cool stuff on there that you like, by all means... Check it out. It helps us out with server costs because all of these podcasts uh, take up a lot of space and cost server space. Uh, anything new, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not. Okay, so. Sure. <laughs> now, um, yeah, since this is a new year, uh, we, we actually have been podcasting for six months, I figured out the other day. Really? Wow, Has it been that long? 
Yeah. Uh, July. So July, it's actually been a little more than six months. Started mid-July. Uh, two of two episodes of which have never been heard, thankfully. Yeah, um, because I would be lynched. <laughs> it's true. Eventually, someday we'll release those. But um, oh god! So we have been doing it for six months. So uh, you know, I, one of the things I did that we did over break, other than create a store, was like you know what what are some of our podcast resolutions? Just you know things we might want to do better in the next year's thing, things we might also want to cover that kind of stuff. So Jimmy, what, did you have any thoughts? I do. You know, starting with tonight, we have SK Nichols joining us. And I would really love to have more guests, you know, join the the Give Me Five family. So we're super happy to have KSA, SK on board tonight. Um, I would also, uh, I've actually over the Christmas break, I played a lot of uh, tabletop games. Not, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, but card games of that sort. And I would really love to you know, review some of those and just more games in general, more computer games, more Xbox games and more tech. So some things to look forward to this year. Uh, Rob, did you have any thoughts by any chance? Um, I would, I would actually really like for us to be able to get together and do more stuff that we've all done um, or that we've all seen, or, I mean, cause I'd really like to start out with going to like the star Wars VR with all three of us going and checking it out. Cause I think that'd we be do awesome need to do that. Yeah. Um, but also um, doing things like Andretti's racing and given, given reviews on that. Um, I think that'd be a little bit of fun as well. Um, well once just, your attorney clears up all those, all those issues between us, we can be within a hundred yards of each other and it'll be all fine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We do have a guest. I will try and be good. <laughs> And of course, um, mine, I really wanted to start diversifying what we cover a little bit. Just, um, you know, just looking back at every episode when I was kind of trying to figure out our year end review stuff, there's a lot of sci-fi, which is great. I love sci-fi, a lot of Star Wars, a lot of comics, a lot of things like that, but a lot of horror. Yeah, definitely a lot of horror. Um, I definitely wanted to diversify and, you know, check out more dramas, more history. I've, you know, I'm really on a kick of reading history right now, watching history, documentaries, movies, stuff like that. And I'm, I really want to get more into that. And that also kind of leads to the guests because I want some of the guests to be in that world. Um, a lot more research. Mm-hmm. And also, of course, fire Rob and replace him with a helper monkey. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh... I went over the break. I, I was at a, a little like bar, biker bar kind of place. And there was a woman that has stroller in the booth next to us. And I looked, and I have—I expect it was a little tiny thing, so I expected like a, a like a pomeranian or something to pop its head out, and a monkey popped its head out. It's like what the? <laughs> so it was a, a little—I uh, forget what type of monkey it was, but capuchin either way, it, it looked a, like. No, it wasn't a capuchin. A marmoset. That's what it was. It was a marmoset. Mm. You're and, a marmoset. And it, so it was kind of hanging out and bounced around in there. And apparently, the uh, one of the top marmoset breeders in all of America is in the west coast of Florida. So oh, wow. yeah, if you if you want a marmoset, I think it runs between three and six thousand dollars, and you know you can get yourself a marmoset, and we can replace Rob for just six thousand bucks. It's a, a bargain, really. And he probably does not fling his poop as much. Pro- probably not. No. Oh um, goodness. So, <laughs> and then the other thing I wanted to talk about, which is unrelated to our resolutions, was you uh, and McGregor, and we're going to talk about the Golden Globes a little bit later. But you and McGregor was spotted at the Golden Globes, and he won an award, of course, for um. Uh, for his role in Fargo, and he was sporting a very familiar beard, which looked just like the Obi Wan beard from the prequels. And prequels of what? Of uh, Star Wars? Yeah, I know the ones that don't really exist. But in retrospect, he was probably the best part of those. He was the only good part, really, of the prequels. Okay, for me and 
his stuff in Clone Wars was actually even. In fact, I actually forgot about the the non three D animated version of Clone Wars, like the one done by the guy that does Samurai Jack. Totally forgot about those until I saw an article mm. on it. But he had the beard, and they asked him, you know, would you be interested in playing the character again? And he said yes, and he said he saw the new movie and he really loved it. And there's also been on it. I was kind of snooping around on his Twitter and he's been working out with like some crazy P90X guy and he's like ripped now. Oh, wow. And, you know, I think that stupid game that Rob and I play, the Galaxy of Heroes game, one of the like characters you win for playing for a really long time is General Kenobi, which is Obi-Wan Kenobi in his like clone armor gear. And it's, he's a cool character and it looks cool. And I think that made me like that character a lot more. And I would love to see that era in film. I think it would the, just be a really clone, cool thing. The Clone War era? Well, not so much the Clone War, just like the right after the Clone War era, like when he's when he heads to Tatooine and hides out, like something that has nothing to do with the Empire because he's trying to like lay low, but something mm-hmm. that's like him with some scoundrels and all that stuff on Tatooine. I think it would be a really cool storyline. So that is definitely one of the things that I was, you know, I would not be surprised. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, without the um, without the overlooming presence of the empire um i mean yeah i mean there i mean what story really is there i mean i'm i'm kind of skeptical about the han solo prequels because i mean if you know i i'm always skeptical of prequels because if you know how it turns out i mean really what's the you know what i'm saying in watching a new story having having read as many star wars books as i have a lot of the best ones don't involve the empire at all like some of the scoundrel ones i mean they're always there right but those kind of but those are ones that but those are ones that actually also don't have to don't have to interact with canon because they're not they're not considered part of the Star Wars universe uh, proper, so to speak. So, yeah, but- I mean, if if you don't have to interact with canon, you can do pretty much whatever you want. But when you're when you're actually making the movies as they relate to the actual universe and they're they're a a locked in part of the universe, you, you're really kind of limited in what you can do. With well, you can't kill things. off you can't kill off the character, but if you remember in New Hope, they were wary of old Ben. They were talking about how crazy he was. Um, mm-hmm. The people looked at him warily around the cantina, so they knew they knew something about him, but they didn't know what. Right, but you so also can't that story. But you also can't have something where he where he draws a bunch of attention to himself either, because then they would find him. And you know, you can't, he can't be this big swashbuckling hero because if he is, somebody's going to know where he is. So. I mean, you're running into issues with that as well, especially since he's just hiding on a planet and everybody, everybody on the planet kind of knows who he is and they know to stay away from him because he's this crotchety old hermit. But if he starts doing all kinds of like heroic stuff, you know, people are going to kind of figure it out. Yeah, and I think that's where the story comes in. You know, the fact that he has to kind of lay low because we've had so many big tales that go to all these different planets. It'd be nice to kind of stay in one place and start with him arriving and kind of, you know, he has to deliver Luke. So there's going to be some canon story, but... I think it would be kind of interesting. It's going to happen. So regardless of our opinions, it's, it's going to do, happen. And I'm pretty sure. Do like a 12 cool. angry men with Kenobi on the jury. I'm okay with that. Or maybe a few good men with Kenobi on the jury. Or like grumpy you old men. You can't handle jury. the Empire. Oh. Grumpy old men with Obi-Wan. There we go. Something with men. Okay. So getting away from Star Wars, but staying in the realm of sci-fi, I went to Amazon to check on something I can't even remember what it was now because this completely took my attention away. But uh, his sparkly nipple rings that he was purchasing—that's not correct. We are. How is it that I'm always the one that behaves? <laughs> um, so, it's really children. 
<laughs> so, um, in going to search for something on Amazon, I came across, I mean, it was right there on the, the front page. Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams is premiering on Friday exclusively for Amazon Prime members. Now, it, it is an anthology series. It looks beautiful. It has big stars like Terrence Howard, Greg Kinnear, uh, Janelle Monet, Brian Cranston, Steve Buscemi, Anna Paquin. I, it, this was a real surprise to me in seeing this. And I got home and I watched the trailer again, this time with sound. And I'm really, really looking forward to that. So yeah, Brian Friday. Very craggly. He looks old <laughs> in the, in the trailer. I mean, he's a spring chicken. Yeah. It's a, his acting start kind of late. I mean, no, it's just the way they have it edited. It's, it's, they push the contrast. Oh, on the foot, on the yeah. It, it sounds like, um, in the, uh, the dialogue in the trailer, um, somebody's speaking as he's kind of walking through this area and someone's interviewing maybe his wife or, or, or maybe daughter or something, but she's, you know, the interviewee interviewer is asking, Oh, how is he different since she, since he's come back? And he's, he's, you know, walking around looking very confused. Um, so yeah, I think it's actually, it, it's an anthology series. So I, I believe it, it was 12 separate stories. So it's gonna be 12 separate episodes. They're all standalone. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching yeah. this weekend, if I have time, because the Highland Games are this weekend, and I will be there on Saturday, which will have already passed by the time this recording is released. Yep. Oh, Excellent. So, so how, how was your New Year's, SK? My New Year's was wonderful. I spent it at home doing absolutely nothing. Oh, Excellent. That, those are fantastic New Year's. Right. I ate a cupcake. Oh, my God. Oh, I say doing absolutely nothing. I did have a couple of glasses of wine. I was a couple. I was probably writing a That's something. Okay, I'm going to get started here. Uh, a couple episodes ago, or a few about got about seven episodes ago, I talked about the show The Gifted, which was oh, a yes. Marvel. Show in the, what? The Marvel, correct? It is Marvel. It is in the X universe, so it is done by Fox. At least that's now, of course, going to get switched over to Disney at some point in the near future. I actually really do too. I've, I've, I grew up with all that stuff and the show, the gifted is it's in the X universe and it covers a lot of the kind of non superhero side of the Marvel universe. And so as it, for anyone that heard our very first episode, when I was talking about the things that, that guided me in our lives or in my life, uh, X-Men was one of mine, X-Men one, the first issue. And at least the one that came out in 1991. Yeah. And this particular show it touches on a lot of that stuff so for me x-men was always hello you know, that really would be superheroes. Me. they were you know they I, were trying to protect I, the mutants it was all about alienation and it was the series the comic originally came out in 1963 kind of born out of the civil rights movement um as things kind of went on it became very weird and very you know there was space travel there was you know stuff throughout the 80s that that led to you know talked about bigotry and hatred and there was always these shady government groups that were trying to off people. And it was just a weird comic to get into, but it became top comic in the land. Um, so the show came out, The Gifted, and the reason I'm talking about it, even though I've talked about it before, was the mid-season finale. It happened uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, the, the, the finale actually is. It's coming up. Uh, it's going to be a two-hour episode, which is weird. They kind of took like three weeks off from the mid-season. Yeah, it was, and you know, the lead-up to it was great. And it was, you know... Yeah, the cast is is excellent. It's got Stephen Moore from True Blood. It's got Amy Acker from Person of Interest and Angel, uh, Natalie Allen Lind, who's like this 
like adorable little blonde girl from she's in Gotham and the Goldbergs, just a bunch of people. And they, they're playing all these characters that I used to grow up reading. And like, and it's, but what's cool is it's not just like, I have superpowers. This is great. It's, I have superpowers. How do I hide this from my classmates? And how do I make sure that no one finds out what, what I'm doing? So, and what kid has not considered the... rolling around in toxic waste to try and get superpowers? I have. That explains all of the things. <laughs> so, Greg, what network is this, is this on? I'm sorry. Uh, it's on Fox, and it's you okay. can also watch the the previous episodes on Hulu. Um, and I actually you can find some on Fox.com as well. I was looking today. One of the things that was really weird there was an episode. I believe it was the second or third to the mid season finale. It's probably episode like what eight or nine. And it showed a, a flashback to one of the characters, Blink, who was actually in the movies. It was like a she makes portals and stuff. Was she the one she in the, uh, future or future past who sent yeah. Wolverine back or something? Yes, yeah, okay. But it was a different uh, different actress, possibly the same character. They haven't really been sure of the continuity there. She's coming out of a movie, and they get surrounded by these guys wearing these like black hoodies with white crosses on the front of them, and they're the purifiers. And like they, those were first shown in a story called from like 1981 called God loves man kills, which is one of like the best comic stories of all time. And I got a sense of dread in seeing these guys surround them hmm. from us. Cause it's from a story that, you know, that I read when I was a kid and just seeing those characters. And it's like, I got this like sense of like this, this sense of dread. Like you see these characters that are these, that are saying that they need to hate mutants because their mutants are not created in God's image and they need to be destroyed and seeing them on TV it was you know, it was chilling, and then just inter- they introduced some other characters from from Grant Morrison's run on the comics called the Stepford Cuckoos, which are like these three, well, five in the comic, but three in the show characters that could like basically you know take over people's minds and cause them to do stuff and all that. Um, so the as as we said, the the season finale um, it, it's going to go. It's actually going to start up again on on January fifteenth. So this episode will be out before then. Um, and they'll do a two-hour thing. It has already been renewed for season two, which is great. And if you have not watched it, I suggest you know trying to find it between the two seasons because it's it took a little bit of time to find itself in the middle. It was great at the beginning. Then there was a few of the you know kind of finding yourself episodes where people had to do stupid stuff to keep the show moving. But mm. it really kind of solidified at the end. And you know it was it's a great I don't want to say superhero show, but it's a great show of people kind of coming to terms with with superpowers, and it's worth a watch. Cool. All you right. My, yeah, my only experience, it, SK, it sounds like you've watched it. Um, okay. The, I've only seen a billboard. <laughs> so, <laughs> I haven't seen the trailer or anything, but. Um, yeah. So that the father is Stephen Moyer from True Blood and he okay. works for a government agency and he's, he's anti-mutant, but not in that we have to exterminate all these things. He's more of a, these, these, Mutants are dangerous. We need to limit them. And then, <laughs> well, here, here's, here's your spoiler situation. <laughs> so his kids, so his kids, um, the are he's got twins, a boy and a girl. And his, his last name is Strucker. Now, if any of you people are comic people out there, the Strucker family is was known as Baron Von Strucker, who was one of the Hydra people in the comics, who had twins. And if the two twins, they each had their individual powers, but if they clasped their hands together they became basically an unstoppable force and so these two <laughs> twins wonder twin powers activate yeah but this is like way more badass like it wasn't one of them turned into water one of them turned into something else this was like they could basically blow up the entire side of a building so 
these two twins, of course, throughout the season, they do start exhibiting those powers. The father reveals himself that re- it's revealed when the father is like, well, why are my kids mutants? You know, because I'm not. It comes out that when he was uh, when he was younger, they were like, do you remember that time that you were really sick for a long period of time? We thought you were going to die. He's like, yeah, I had tuberculosis or whatever it was. And like, yeah, we actually were putting you those injections we were giving you was to try to hide your mutant powers. You were not. Oh, surprise. You should write this kind of stuff. <laughs> nice. Um, it's it's really worth it's worth a watch. Um, it does start off a little bit. It's it's very good, but it doesn't seem like anything you haven't seen before. But as it goes on and you start liking the characters more, um, mm. you it it becomes something that I look forward to every week. Um, on a completely other other note, um, I was looking at one of the characters. There's a, a guy named um, Blair uh, Redford in it, and he plays um, Thunderbird, who's a who's a um, Native American X Men character that died like. In 1967 or, or no, 1970, like seven or something like that. But um, in the show, he's obviously alive. But he, the two things I thought were funny about that. One, he apparently used to travel with Renaissance festivals. Yes. And he, that was how he got his acting start. He actually played a body pirate known as Rusty Compass. That is fed. I'm going to watch that show. Yep. And also <laughs> one of his first major roles was in the movie Dance of the Dead, which was written by one of our former guests, Joe Ballerini. Nice. So it was just one of the weird things that you kind of go down the rabbit hole on IMDb or Wikipedia or whatever. Yeah, R- Rusty Compass, the pirate, is plays uh, Warpath, or not Warpath, but um, Thunderbird on that show. So anyway, um, watch the show. It's really good. And uh, now we can move on to someone else. Okay. So why don't we talk Golden Globes a little bit? I saw none of it. I saw... One thing. I wanted to talk about something specifically on that. Okay. Um, First of all, I wanted to talk just about some of the winners because, like, obviously the Golden Globes were, were, I don't want to say controversial, but they were a little more politically heated this year. Not in the way everyone thought they would be. Not in the the typical form of politics, but more on the the Me Too movement politics, which I thought was, was interesting. And it did cast an interesting poll over it. And I thought it was... Both a good thing and people definitely were like, well, why didn't you do enough talking about it? Like, you know, I, in some ways, I'm okay with the I'm okay with the protest. I think it's good. But at the same time, if you don't protest, I don't think you should be punished for it. But I also thought that there was some really interesting movies that were non-traditional that were noted and TV shows and stuff like that. So that was really what I wanted to focus on more than anything. And specifically, um, the fact that The Shape of Water got quite a bit of uh, not- notoriety. I know Jimmy had to uh, be super thrilled with that. Yes. So did you, um, did, you did happen to see the Guillermo del Toro of um, your hug pillow fame got, uh, got his award finally. Yeah. Um, 25 years. They tried to play him off and he said, no, it's taken me 25 years. So hold your horses. Mm-hmm. And he gave a really impassioned speech. Um, you know, this is, an author who stayed true to his roots and stuck to his guns for his entire career. I don't think he's ever taken a film just to take a film for a paycheck, but he's always directed and wrote what he's wanted to do. And he thanked the monsters that he drew and created. And it resonated with me, you know, being a a fan of horror since I was a little kid to see, you know, my favorite director up there winning a golden globe for the shape of water. 
um, and giving this incredible speech. It, coming up on stage, he followed Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, that was a hard one to follow. And had tears in his eyes from her speech. So <laughs> he actually gets up and he says, oh, man, I was expecting that I would have to, you know, wipe my eyes with this this card <laughs> because he was crying from her speech. Which is really and good. And he says, oh, yeah, he says, oh, man, that's a tough act to follow. Mm-hmm. But um, people love him. The people that he, he works with, I mean, they truly love him. And, you know, if you haven't seen The Shape of Water, it's it's a sight to behold. It's beautiful. Um, SK, have you seen it? Okay. Um, when you get a chance, I mean, it's it's a beautiful film, and I, I think it's one of those that you have to see in the theater. I That's one of the yeah, first I, I monster movies. Talked about it last time, but... It's one of the first monster movies to ever win a major award. Like, is it? It is in any of the you know Golden Globes, Emmys, Academy Awards, whatever. Other than possibly a makeup award here and there, and mm-hmm. which is it also won best score. Yes, so that was one. That was one of the things. Um, yeah, some of the other things. The one usually I can look through and see who deserves to win. I thought Gary Oldman probably deserved it for Darkest Hour, which he won. I want to see that. I really want. Yeah, to see I, that. actually, I, I kind of wanted to well. see that too. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to read the book as soon as I get done with my Edison book in about 27 years because it's really long. Um, got that. Uh, Coco won for Best Animated Feature, so it won for my Best Animated Feature on our 2017 award, so that's good. Um, Handmaid's Tale won Best Drama Series, and that actually leads me into one of the other things I really found interesting about the Golden Globes. Um, streaming services have only been able to get awards since 2013 meaning they've only really existed since 2013. There's nothing keeping them from getting awards. And in 2013, um, I think it's, is it Robin Wright? From the the show with Kevin Spacey, which is on hiatus at the moment. Well, either way, she won for Best Actress, whoever, I forget her name now. Is that know. House of Cards? House of Cards, yeah. So the actress from House of Cards won. And so from that time, and then I think the next year, Kevin Spacey won. And this year, there was five, there was 11 awards that streaming things would have been able to get versus between TV and streaming. Uh, they won five out of the 11. Uh, they won best. Um, Good. Yeah. That's Robin Wright. Robin from, Wright. That's what it is. Uh, Forrest Gump. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and Blade Runner. And Wonder Woman. Princess Bride. And, and Princess Bride. And yeah. other dozens of awesome yeah, I, She's I, a great terrible, terrible at names. Uh, so Marvel's Miss Mizell won for best TV series musical. Handmaid's Still won best for best series. Uh, My Rachel Brosnahan was won for, wonderful. I spent uh, it at home doing absolutely nothing. Aziz Ansari won for best performance in a TV series. So that's, you know, five out of 11. Right. Um, and I found it really interesting that there are 487 scripted shows. Oh, I'd say doing absolutely show, nothing. I did have a it seems like, but it, it was way higher than that a few years back. A couple. And 117 of those were on probably writing providers. Wow. Wow. 175 are from basic cable and 195 from everything else. So all the TNT, HBO, Showtime, all that stuff, 195. I, I have been to St. Augustine, um, but not this year. That's crazy to me. I went during Christmas only been three and years. we rode the train and we and had those just the new normal neat now. little glasses I think that make all the, the Christmas lights a, super sparkly. Where people are able to subscribe to these things the specifically. And and you start seeing was, more risks and start nice. seeing way more interesting yeah. stuff like Shape of Water. You know, like, even though it's a movie, but you know what I'm saying? Like, TV shows that are examining things that we it's don't usually get a chance to see. I'm really excited about mm-hmm. it. Well, I'm I'm also interested to see um, what what's going to happen as far as streaming services are concerned with the whole net neutrality thing. 
Um, I'm worried that somehow that's going to affect um, access to a lot of those, a lot of those things. And that is the huge danger. And one of the reasons they tried to push it through it is, it is a reaction to that because they know that they can try to get more money out of people. Yeah. uh, What were you going to say? The Ford Ford is interesting. Uh, The the net neutrality thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a Cosby show. Amen. Two, two, seven. A lot of those shows. Different world. Yeah, I love that show. Were you? Yeah, that's the thing with crime procedurals. Yeah. You you can always tell the second someone comes on crime procedurals are going to be it's like okay, this thing. person is going to be the criminal because you're the second most recognizable person in the show. They're going to be the person that that killed them. Yeah, I mean, with <clears throat> and I think that's actually one of the things that I like about that show that we talked about a few uh, a couple episodes ago, probably Bull. Um, it's kind of like a crime procedural without kind of being a crime procedural because it involves the, the courtroom, so to speak, okay. but it's not, it's not, um, no, I mean, but like what's, what's to say now that there's not going to be some show out there that's a, you know, a Southern crime procedural, which would be kind of interesting seeing a different side of things, which is actually what I thought that, uh, the, what was that crime show on HBO not too long ago? That was really good season one and terrible season two. True detective. There totally should be a show called Florida man. <laughs> And no one, no one would believe it, and it would all be true. They've uh, they're casting for True Detective season three, and they talked to Woody Harrelson about reprising his role, and he said, "No, you know, I it just it's not meant to be." And season one of True Detective was, I'll, I'll say it, I say it every time, it's the best eight hour movie I've ever seen. Um, I'm probably due for another rewatching of that, but it is a heavy, heavy show. If you saw, if you didn't see the night of, that might be something to throw in there. It was really good. And uh, you know, speaking of streaming, hello, that would be me. Or you know, I, not streaming, I, but I, that's how I watched it. But shows that are you know totally taking risks. I thought American Gods took a lot of risks, oh, yeah. and I really we've talked about this before how the showrunner stepped down. Uh, Greg informed me today that Jillian Anderson said she will not be reprising her role as media. And I think that's sad. And Kristen Chenoweth, her, her you know, her role is up in the air. She's not sure if she's going to probably leaning towards not. Mm. I thought that show was fantastic. I, I really, I check every couple of days for new news on it and there isn't any. So fingers crossed. That show isn't dead in the water. It it was a hit. Uh, Neil Gaiman is apparently running it now, and uh, fingers crossed. I think he'd be a first time showrunner, but he has he's had his hand. I mean, in things like Coraline and stuff like that. But it's a different world. Movies to TV shows, and you got to keep got to keep the threads to to make a show keep people coming every week. So they've only got one yeah. season in, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, so. They were renewed for a season two, and then the showrunner stepped down. Yeah, and I've I've actually got into recently. I mean, you know, we have you here tonight, uh, but I've I was very very resistant to my Kindle Fire. I hated not having a book in my hands, but getting past that attitude, I've really found a lot of great independent authors, and uh, I wouldn't trade that thing for the world now. So, you know, um, I think it's great, and I, I can't wait to see more. I can't wait to read um, Oh, real quick, uh, Neil Gaiman, he, he produced the shit in the movie Stardust. Uh, he executive produced the movie Beowulf. Oh, that was a... Uh, he produced the movie Beowulf. 
Uh, he's written a few episodes, actually written a lot of stuff, but um, he kind of wrote, produced a few episodes of um, Doctor Who as well. He did some of the Christmas episodes. So he has some experience. He's and but director wise, he's only done. I'm assuming a 10 minute short because it's from something called 10 minute tales. That's a thing. And also a short film about John Bolton, which I assume is also a short film about John Bolton, but I don't know anything more about that. So yeah. yeah. So, okay. Moving on from, from the golden globes. Um, All right guys. So I did actually talk about this book previously in our top fives. It was in my top five books that I've been introduced to or read this year. This book actually did come out in 2017 it was released on November 6th. It is called Moonlight City Drive, and it's by Brian Pone. Now, this book s- slides its way into two categories, one that I've become pretty familiar with recently, and that is uh, the crime genre, and also one that I was unaware that existed, rock fiction. You're going to have to explain that because I don't really know what that so, is. So, okay. So, this does— It was written by a geologist. Oh, okay. Rock fiction. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I will also be replaced by Helper Monkey. <laughs> Good. So it'll be just me talking to <laughs> talking to a couple of beings. Those who produce the show would also like you to know that they've just been sacked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, this is the one that. No, okay. Um, maybe I'm wrong. This is the one that has the uh, the album Adultery. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it does. Um, so this book was written to kind of, it's hard to explain. Um, it is based off an album by one of my favorite bands of all time, Dog Fashion Disco, hailing from Maryland. Um, the album is called Adultery. And the album and the book follow the story of a private, private investigator, a former police officer who is on the heels of a serial killer. It is a supernatural crime rock fiction. It's very cool um, in a way for somebody being such a huge fan of that album that actually the album came out in 2006. And it's like reading the liner notes to the album over the course of several hundred pages. Well, now, what exactly is the mushroom cult? Was the mushroom cult a real thing, or is that? I'm glad you asked that. The mushroom cult um, refers to, as the author puts it in his dedication, refers to fans of dog fashion oh, disco. You're now, fans, <laughs> um, the fans of dog. I don't. I don't call myself a member of the mushroom cult, but it's something that the band things about on previous albums. Okay, but in, so in the, the book, the Mushroom Cult is actually a, a group of, a group of, what would you call them? A group of beings? Beings, ghouls, Ghouls, that will. was the word. Yes, that the serial killer um, brings back, not so, well, to kind of in part do his bidding and their master's bidding, and their master is the one who holds the book, um, and that is the serial killer. So spoiler alert, um, the private investigator that is following the serial killer, his last name is Smith. And I don't believe that's any accident. The singer of the band is named Todd Smith. So again, I don't think that's any, you know, coincidence, but this PI, he ends up 
admiring the serial killer because what the serial killer is doing is he's going around and he's cleansing the scum from the streets. Basically, I'm saying that quotations. The author committed a cardinal sin in the very first chapter of the book. There's a cardinal sin. Well, you don't kill dogs and you don't kill children. And I'm only saying that. It's, it, I don't it, whether it's a spoiler or not. It's in the the first. It's in the preview of the book, so you can't really call that a spoiler if they post it everywhere. If they post uh, it everywhere for you to read. So yeah, what you're referring to. Um, you don't kill someone's dog and you don't kill someone's child, and and that was to me just like this cardinal sin in chapter one. But I understand it gets better. I, I can say it gets better. Um, I mean that was like made me cry because you know the innocence right. but then when i read more i understood more so that part of the book um there's a line in by the band dog fashion disco that says you burned down the temples <laughs> while the children were sleeping and Who doesn't love a hooker? Like an accusatory kind of thing. Like you've done this terrible thing. You burned down the temples while the children were sleeping, which is just like <laughs> totally unforgivable. Thing. Children were meant to die, though. I mean, so. he he, do, he works it into the book. Um, he works a lot of the lyrics into the book, uh, and and a, a lot of those things. Are, I will say are this though: I love, uh, love, love the action-packed first chapter. I mean, if you. That's a hooker, and you gotta love a hooker, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's a this, lot of them put, in the book. <laughs> you put this hook at the beginning of a book, and you have to read more. I mean, I was so disappointed when I got to the end of the preview, and I haven't yet bought the book. It's you know, it's you know, like five ninety nine. Not, it's not an expensive book, mm-hmm. but yeah, now I got to read the book, the whole book. Yeah, and I'd be curious, you know, what you thought um, once you got the whole, through the whole thing. Because for me, there was a lot of side smirking. Um, he he works in, you know, lyrics from this album that was written, you know, 12 years ago that now. That came out 12 years ago. It's one of my favorites. Um, Dogfish and Disco is a very unorthodox band. They're a, they're a big band. They're, uh, they're, I, I don't mean this in a negative light. They're a studio band. Um, there are so many components to the band that they, it's not feasible for it and, and not, um, what's the word making money? What's the profitable for them to tour because they have a horn section and they have all these different elements. And if you listen to the album and, and now if you listen to the album while or after you read the book, it's going to make a lot more sense. Um, you know, I could hear Todd Smith, who I think is an incredible vocalist and lyricist and writer of Dog, Dog Fashion Disco. I could hear him in my ear as I was reading the book, and I pictured him as the main character, um, whether that was intentional or not. You know what passed through my mind? What's uh, that? Pink Floyd's The Wall. That that album told a story. I would, yeah, I don't know and that. I. I don't, I, they did a video of Pink Floyd, the wall is mostly laser stuff, yes. but, um, oh, yeah. yeah, I, I love that album and I, I love it when they bring the two together, you know, I find it's really liking concept albums and the fact that you mentioned it's that there's a thing called rock fiction 
it really it made my mind wander a little bit. And I was thinking like how awesome it would be to read a book of The Wall or the one that immediately yeah. popped to mind is um, Operation Mindcrime by Queensryche, which I'm guessing only one of you guys knows. And that's it was a, it was a story. It was before Queensryche became really popular with Silent Lucidity, but it was a story of a guy that they kind of brainwashed him in like a, in like mm-hmm. a hospital with a nun who was, she wasn't really a nun. She was really a, a hooker actually. And they brainwashed him to whenever he heard a certain tone, he was going to, he was going to kill political and religious figures. And it was, and it was just a really, the whole album went through and it, you know, like he slowly starts remembering stuff and, but it, you know, it would have, it was an album that could have been a movie and I would love to start reading fiction like that. And so if you actually do research on more rock fiction, like that's a genre I think I could totally get into. He, the author has written another book and I'm sure you can appreciate this. It's a, a, a distant reference, but, um, an, in another book, he writes himself into the inner circle of the band God Lives Underwater, <laughs> who I was a big fan of. Um, a little obsessive, not me, but from the author. Um, but yeah, rock fiction, it's a new genre for me. It's, it's, weird and kooky and you know sk i can't it's hard for me to i i guess concept wise it's similar to the wall um the album is that of a private investigator there are it there's more music than there are like skits and things like that there's not um there's not a lot of hey i need to explain this story to you here's what's happening you can even tell that from the cover of the album uh, Moonlight City Drive refers to a place in the book. It's also a song on the album Adultery by Dogfish and Disco. So listen to the album, read the book, let me know what you think. Again, Moonlight City Drive by Brian Pone. Check it out on Amazon. Like SK said, it's like $4.99 and it's worth the read. Even if you're not a fan of the album, which, I mean, if you listen to the album, I hope you you would like it. If you're a fantasy fan, too, you'll love this book. It gets very supernatural and very psychotic at points. So the album and the book, not for children. Hmm. So, you know, there you go. With us tonight, guys, as I've said before, we have author S.K. Nichols. And I wanted to say thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the show. Yes, thank you for coming. We're glad to have you. Well, I'm glad to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to share. Excellent. So we have talked about your book, Naked Alliances, in the past. I've actually talked about it several times. I enjoyed it very much. And I think Rob actually got a chance to listen to it on audio format. Oh, I did. Stephen Barnett is just absolutely wonderful. I love the way he did the... He he did a really good job. Um, I... It, he he did help, and I've talked about this before in previous episodes, how a, a, a good narrator can really pull you into the book, but a bad narrator can just totally throw you out of it. Like, if, if I don't like the narrator, I'm not going to listen to the book. Um, Stephen, but I've, Stephen Barnett is actually um, an Orlandonite. He lives out near Hunter's Creek. Oh, really? Street. Yes. Oh, so. fantastic. And we, did, we met on the internet um, through my blogging, but yeah, we, we met on the internet and I had no clue he was local. But, oh, cool. Wow. Through 80. That actually, that's one of my questions. We're going to kind of talk about the book, but also ask questions kind of throughout. 
Um, how does the audio, I mean, it's not really the first thing I should start with, but we kind of did. Um, how does the, um, how does like the audio process happen? Do you get a chance to suggest authors? Did, did you do everything independently? Uh, he means readers and narrators. Narrators. Uh, I gotcha. Uh, ADX, I think is the name of it. Google that and see if it comes up audiobooks. I don't know. Um, ADX, ACX, I'm not sure. Um, it's a company and they do audiobooks and they connect them to Amazon. So it's such an easy process and you get to, uh, uh that's ACX, I believe, audiobook creation. Experience. Right. That's it. That's it. Hmm. And, um, thank you, research department. It, the process is so easy and it's so much fun, but people audition and I get to choose who, whose sound I like best. And we heard, you know, a half a dozen uh, narrators and some of them really had a, a phony Southern drawl. They tried to make the Southern drawl and they sounded so funny. And um, others, the voice was just too deep or the voice was too high. I wanted a baritone. Um, <clears throat> Okay. So, it, you know, I got to feel through, uh, they read like a chapter in the book or a portion of a chapter in the book, a couple of spots. I could give them different voices, different characters to read, and they read it and and recorded it and then uploaded it. And then I downloaded it, listened to it, and put either, yes, I was interested in hearing more or no, I wasn't. And then we did a second round and uh Honestly, when I heard Stephen Barnett, I didn't want to hear any more any anything else. I was like, he he's got it. He can do Brandy, he can do Kim Jernigan, he can do Richard, and he can do all the female voices, all the male voices, and he rocked it. I'm gonna have to listen to that. I read it. Um I didn't get to listen to that. That's you know, I had no idea how that process worked. Um so that's, that's Really very interesting. Yeah, you can pay either two ways. You can pay them on royalties, but most of them don't do that with new authors. They would do it like, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, Jonathan Kellerman, <laughs> but they wouldn't do it for me. Uh, but they just take an upfront fee. And if, if you have your own studio, you know, you could uh, narrate books for people. Well, interesting. interesting. And, I, and I have to admit that that's really how I consume most of my books nowadays. Um, I don't do a whole lot of sitting down and actually reading, which is a shame because I, uh, unlike Jimmy, I actually really did enjoy getting my Kindle um, and having all of my books at my fingertips on that on that one device. Um, but Audible is just because Audible is the app that I use, but Audible is just so much easier and I can do, I can actually read or in this case, listen to a book while I'm doing stuff around the house. You know, I don't have to be dedicated to sit down and actually read for like an hour or two hours or something. I can actually do like mindless tasks and focus on the book that I'm listening to. And for me, that's, that's pretty much how I consume all of my books. We nowadays. put them in the car when we, we have a boat. We have yeah, trailer it. I do we that trailer too. it across the state to put in, in the Gulf and we will listen to a book on the way over and on the way back. Fantastic. Yeah. So this before we go any deeper into the process, can, from your perspective, can you describe this book? Naked Alliances is, is a crime thriller romp. Romp. R-O-M-P. Romp. Okay. 
It is well, definitely it said wrong. in the seedier part of Orlando that the amusement park would prefer was kept under wraps. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. I'm going to put you on the spot for that one, but uh, continue. Well, in it, a lone wolf PI, Richard Noggin, a.k.a. what would you think? Yes. And and I have to ask, did did that name come about just so you could use that? Or was that just like a it happy coincidence? It was sort of both. I had picked out the name Richard <laughs> because I like the fact that he could have multiple nicknames. He could be Dick. He could be Rick. You know, he could be Richard. Um, he could be Rich. Uh, he could have multiple mm-hmm. nicknames. But then a blogger friend of mine mm-hmm. says, yeah, and he needs the last name knocking. And I did not pick up on that for days until I went back to the comments and read them. And I was like, Richard Noggin, why did he suggest Noggin? And then it hit me, dickhead. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. But he reluctantly teams up with the brassy exotic dancer, Brandy, from the Parliament House to solve a cold case and protect a young girl from a murderous sex trafficker. But in order to stay alive, they must go undercover in a nudist resort while the body count grows. That's my tagline. Well, I love the book. I um, I, I thought it was definitely a romp. Um, you really, these action scenes, I, I don't know that I've, I, aside from like fantasy books and, and battles with dragons and things of that nature. I've, I've never read something that plays out like an action scene in a Chuck Norris film quite so much as I, as I have, you know, in your book with explosions and um, espionage in a way, you know, with Brandy's background. You um, know, that has something to do with what military. I've learned about uh, writing commercial fiction. My first book was literary fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody thinks your writing is great. You're going to, you know, you're going to write this literary piece and people are going to adore your writing, but it, it's not really true. Um, uh, commercial fiction nowadays has to keep attention. You don't want the reader to put the book down. Yeah, and it was it, it was very hard to put down. I, unlike Rob, uh, don't consume most of my reading materials on audio format. I like to read myself to sleep. And oftentimes, <laughs> now with the Kindle, I'll wake up with it face down on the floor, on my tile floor. I know the same thing. I wake this up happens. between this and the bed. <laughs> it, it happens so often that it's laying face down on the tile floor that I go, oh, no, this is the time that the screen's actually going to be broken. Fortunately, it hasn't. Um and you just jinxed yourself, by the way. I, I hope you were. I probably did, but your your pacing with the action in the book made it very, very difficult to put down. That's a good thing. Um, yeah, I I went through it pretty quick, um, and though I was disappointed when it was over, I was very pleased with the ending. I won't give it away too much, but I thought it was extraordinarily clever. Um, and I'm looking forward there to will hopefully be more. more. Uh, book three, book awesome. book two has turned into book three, and there is a new book two. So I've sort of put book two on hold, and um, uh, okay. well, it had to do with my trip to Vegas 
but that I'll get to that later. But um, yeah, I I'm not ready to write book three yet. Um, book book two was the book that was going to be book two, so I'm putting that book on a shelf, and I've started a new book too. And um, it is a series, so there will be more. There there are about six or eight books in my mind that haven't been written yet. And there's probably three outlines that have been started. So we know where we're going. We just haven't gotten there yet. How do you organize all that? How do you keep that? I mean, is it just a matter of... I use a tool, I use a tool called Scrivener. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's... A, I actually have. It's a writer tool. And it has a binder on the left-hand side where you can move your chapters all around. And then on the right-hand side, it has... A, it has uh, index cards where you can keep up your uh, keep your outline notes and and um, so you, you've got that all on either side of your editor where you're actually writing and you can refer to it and you can put your points of view uh, character you, you you've got a way to flag your point of view characters so you don't slip out of point of view um, it, it's a nifty little tool for writers a software. I actually want to talk yeah. a little bit about the the writing side of things. Um, get, go ahead, Jimmy. Did you have a question? No, I I would be a terrible author because I um I, I when I was little I used to get in trouble all the time because like the movie Memento to remember things I would write on myself and I would get in trouble all the time. And my oh, I still have what I call mind maps everywhere. Okay, um, mine used to be all over my body. And my mom used to tell me I would get ink poisoning. Um, <laughs> fortunately, that hasn't happened. But yeah, I I've got post-it notes everywhere. It's kind of bizarre. It's kind of like serial killer's bedroom. Like strings. I was gonna say, I, I, strings I'm totally. To I'm, I'm totally imagining the the whole prank thing with Jimmy's cubicle, like completely covered in post-it notes. And I was picturing, That's happened to me. I was picturing before. like the the detective that. That people are like, you're obsessed with this case. And he's like, no, I'm not. And then they go into his house and there's like pictures and string and post-it notes. Like circles oh. drawn everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Spirals everywhere. Behind a, a pull-down when screen I'm or something. Writing, when I'm writing, you can't see my desk. I have just reams of paper and there are mind maps scribbled all over every little inch of paper. And even if you give me like a receipt to hang on to, there will be notes written on the corner of the receipt. Because something popped into my mind that I didn't want to forget, and then I always, had my, I always had my funny shit document that I refer to from time to time, where I just collect funny shit, and uh, it's it's on my uh, computer, and I just pull it up and plug things in. So, um, well, one that to me that says that you're really doing something that you love. But did you always want to be an author? How did how did that becoming an author happen? Uh, did I always want to be, uh, no, I always wanted to be a writer, but I was really leaning towards technical writing and, um, I wanted to be a journalist and, um, that was in high school, but, uh, things changed. I became a nurse instead because a hospital was willing to pay for me to go to school and I love caring for people too. And I have strong social interests, you know, interests. And so nursing was the way for me to go. And then um, a few years ago, I retired from nursing, but I still had all these stories that needed to be told. 
So I started writing them. And what better way to spend one's time? And nursing certainly provides a lot of stories, does it not? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Best stories. Uh, I want to hear this. All of them. I want to read them. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have enough hours for me to tell you all my nursing stories, but have have me back and I'll tell you nursing stories. Excellent. And Rob, Rob, you can play along too. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I haven't been lucky enough to retire from nursing yet, but I, um, as we discussed earlier, I am also a nurse. I work in the operating room. Um, and I've been in there, I've been in the operating room for what, uh, almost 13 years now. Um, and I've also worked in the ICU and on the floor and, and it's, have you ever seen pieces of the ceiling fall into people's open cavities when they're having surgery? <laughs> no, oh, wow. but I was, <laughs> I was told the story. Um, I, I, I take it one second, Rob, I take it that uh, happened. I saw that happen in a, in a small town USA hospital oh, that I worked man. in. I was just like freaking out because the paint was peeling off the ceiling and little flakes of it were falling into this person's mm. body while they were doing oh, surgery. Wow. Sucking out these little paint flakes that were falling from the ceiling. I was like, this is not sterile. This is. Yeah. That's not supposed to happen. I, I, one of the stories that I'll, I'll just tell it real quick because I thought it was hilarious and terrible all at the same time. Um, one of the one of the doctors I worked with was doing his residency, and they were going into the OR for the first time. And they were it was a uh, open chest, so they were doing they were doing thoracic surgery. I'm not sure if it was open heart or if they were just doing something in the chest. Um, anyway, the the surgeon was was you know was teaching basically was like, Oh yeah, here's this. And you know, we want to try and connect this and do this and do that. And he was having everybody stand on a stool and take a look, you know, they would lean over a little bit, take a look and see what was going on. Well, one of these guys got up on the stool and I don't know how far he was leaning over or how he was standing, but he leaned over and probably about like $2 and 75 cents fell out of his pocket (laughs) into the chest cavity. And the surgeon is going, Oh my God! How much friggin' change did you have in your pocket? Tell me, come on, because <laughs> he's trying. He's got to get it all out. And he, he said the guy was so mortified. Oh Surgeon never let him back in the OR again. It was ridiculous. But Jimmy and I are both mortified of never having surgery. They they got all of the change out, and the patient was fine. By the way, I'll just I'll just put that out there. But it just just one of those stories that's like, oh my God. Uh, between Black Mirror and this conversation. I am not sleeping tonight. Yeah. <laughs> never, never I mean, I guess the, the nursing thing really is going to give a legitimacy to when you're describing <laughs> certain things that are found at crime scenes and found at, uh, you know, in various injuries in your action scenes and stuff like that. Yeah. And the forensic nursing that I did, um, that definitely writing crime fiction, uh, just the behaviors that I monitored for in uh, a unit for the criminally insane those things all come to play in character development. Fascinating and terrifying. All at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. So this story, the um, characters hide out in a a nudist colony. A nudist resort. A nudist resort. Um, I corrected that. It's resort. Gotcha. (laughs) Colony is one of those words that nudists are just, they cringe from it. We were wondering what the correct terminology was 
there. It's, now we know. So yeah, we back in the pretty long it. conversation about that uh, during work today. We're like, should we, was that the right wording? Is that <laughs> back in the fifties? It was a colony, and they were like cultic members of this colony really? that did all this. You know, that lived this terrible alternative lifestyle. So, what is your experience? I, I lived at Cypress Cove for. Uh, which is a nudist resort that my family owns and operates. I was there for about six years. I didn't live actually inside the, in the resort, but just outside the front gate. I had a little house there, but I was in there a lot. And I, you know, I had experience with uh, the transients, the people that we call transients because they come to the hotel or they uh, rent the art rent uh Art, put RVs in or, or uh, campers, trailers, tents. Um, there's 250 RV sites and there's 250 residential sites and there's 83 hotel rooms or condos. So you get a variety of people. But the residents, they're there. Most of them are there year round. They live in the resort. Mm-hmm. And um, some of them are snowbirds. They come down for six months out of the year. But to me, it's just so passe because I've been there so many times. And honestly, the first time I visited as an adult, I remember coming as a child because it started back in 1964. And uh, I remember coming as a child. And as a child, I just thought it was funny that my cousin was jumping on the trampoline with no clothes on. And so they pulled me down out of the window and stuck me in the broom closet. And um, <laughs> that that was that was then. But as an adult, it was shocking for like the first two hours. But the longer you're there, the more uncomfortable you are with clothes on. It's kind of an interesting twist. Yeah, I was. I happened to go to the website today while doing research. So I, I was unaware that we had a nudist resort in Orlando. Oh. One thing I that was I did notice was that um that there is a taco event on Tuesdays, which um. Yeah, Taco Tuesdays. Quite frankly, I there is few things more enjoyable in my life than eating tacos, and I have never done it naked. You so, need to eat tacos naked, yes. So that that's definitely being added to the bucket list: eating tacos naked. Oh, I can get you in anytime you want to go. We'll go on a Tuesday, <laughs> so you can get tacos. They have Nudapalooza. They have that's a big charity event they do where they have all these. Uh, what do you call those bands that come and uh, nah, cover they, bands or jam bands or uh, tribute. Tribute vans, okay. tribute, yeah, tribute, vans. Tribute, tribute vans come and um, they have a big uh, charity event once a year. I think they just had that right before Christmas, though. And they have uh, plays every they have uh, different things going on every weekend. They have a theme. There's the Jimmy Buffett Parrot Head weekend. That's a big event. You can't even get a room then. Um, but they do have lots of events and there's people that just live there and there's people that live and work there and there's a convenience store on the grounds there's a there's a restaurant there's a bar and grill and in the book leisure lagoon is fashioned after cypress cove so um if you want to know about cypress cove read the book about leisure lagoon and you'll learn a little bit about um, cypress cove i haven't been but i love tacos I was thinking, like, man, that'd be a really cool, interesting place to review or just kind of talk about. But then again, I was like, I really don't want to see Rob's balls. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, that's that's actually in the book. You know, it's kind of Rob's balls are totally in the book. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, one of the things that you addressed in the book is kind of the common misconceptions about um, uh, people at the nudist resort um, and how how they're really just kind of going about everyday life and and whatnot just without clothes on and how it's not really like this this um constant like yeah sex orgy kind of thing all the time and and i appreciate that because that's true Mm -hmm. uh it certainly helped to demystify it for me now the resort in the book is called leisure lagoon yes Leisure Lagoon. And, um, I and mean, is that, that modeled after Cypress Cove? It is. It is. Um, you know, your life experiences are part of what you write about. So, uh, yeah, I, I sort of modeled it. It's not located in the same place. It's not that resort. It's just a fictional, a fictional resort, but along the same lines, it's not, uh, there are resorts that are more sexually oriented. Um, there's a couple over in Tampa, actually. And um, there's Caliente and Paradise Lakes. They're a little different. But uh, Cypress Cove and Leisure Lagoon and many others are there. Uh, the American Association for Nude Recreation recognizes them as mm-hmm. just family-oriented resorts. Uh, there's kids there, there's mom and dad, they live there, and they grow up there, and uh, it's just a, a lifestyle choice. And it's about rest and relaxation and being in touch with nature and uh, sort of not at all sexually oriented. But you do in the book describe there are guess, oh, people there kind are. of on the fringes that Right, right. Uh, but it's it's just like any other community. Um, mm-hmm. There's swingers in the community of Conway, I'm sure. I don't know them, but I'm sure they're here. And uh, there's a, a swingers club in the book. So that element of sexuality is introduced through a different location. But the book is about a sex trafficking crime. So, um, yes, there is there is some discussion of sexuality in the book. So, but I mean, good heavens. No, it's like any other community. There's bad people Mm -hmm. and people. And for the most part, all the people in the resort are good, but like everywhere else, people live their lives. And um, I think they're more extroverted probably than they are in your local community. Now that Greg, you had a question about that. Oh, just about um, honesty. I was wondering, like, do you feel that, people that live in that lifestyle are a little more, just a little more honest because they're, you know, they're already not hiding something that people hide all the time. Psychologically, are they just more honest people to deal with? I would love to answer that question. Yes. And, but it's not a rose garden. (laughs) Um, I mean, the the honest answer to that question is no, (laughs) not honest, not honesty. Um, I mean, good heavens. No, like I said, it's like any other community. There's good people. There's bad people. There's, um, right. I think they're just they're just like a <laughs> sample of the population that happens to go nude. <laughs> you are I actually want to jump over to your first book. I believe it's your first book, Red Clay and Roses. So that you said was more of a, a 
what word did you use? Literature or liter literary. literary fiction? Yeah, it's a little different. Um, so, and what, just for just real quick summary on that one as well, just because. Oh, I just hit the high points. It's about a group of characters in the deep South struggling with inequality. Um, it touches on uh, women's rights, uh, racial issues. Um, uh, there was actually a, a cousin of mine that had a relationship. It's, it's 1950s, 1960s oriented book. And a cousin of mine who was white had a relationship with a black man and it was just really taboo in that era. And then there was also a, um, hmm. in my little hometown of LaGrange, Georgia, there was a chiropractor who had an abortion clinic in the basement of his house. And that was also illegal and taboo back then. And so you hear the story of the people around the good doctor and um, uh, his handyman was actually the father of my cousin Sybil's boyfriend at the time. So it's it's their story. Like you said, you you live what you write. Right. I think I do. Yeah. It's very very interesting. I think uh and you know, I a lot of what I do for this podcast, what we do for this podcast and is what I do in life is a lot about research. So the research behind this kind of stuff I'm sure I have no idea what you're talking about. So like if you noticed when (laughs) I wrote the questions for you, a lot of it was about research about how much goes into it. And how does that, you know, and we talked about it a little bit, so I don't think we need to revisit it about how all this research becomes this awesome story that is riveting versus, you know, a bunch of post-it notes all over the place. And I just think that's very, very cool. Yeah. Well, with Red Clay and Roses, I spent years poring over historical documents, but the writing only took me about six weeks for the first draft. Um, But they are two entirely different audiences, uh, literary fiction and commercial fiction. Naked Alliances took two years to write, but the research was different. For Naked Alliances, I went on a binge drunk and hung out with the homeless people at Lake Yola Park. Oh, that was my research. That's it's real life. That's research. Yeah, for, for those of you that don't live in Orlando, Lake Yola Park is like one of the famous pictures you'll always see of Orlando is this beautiful fountain and swan boats and stuff like that. Like, that's like that's Lake Yola's so or the park near there. So you can kind of visualize it a little. And the homeless people um, stay there. And what? And the homeless people stay there. There's worse places to stay. Yeah. It's a beautiful park. Yeah. And they're nice. They're they're really interesting people. Yeah. I find them fascinating. I yeah, I sit with them and hear their stories and eat lunch with them and and just to hear their stories is just fascinating to me. So interesting. <laughs> uh, let's we talked a little bit about Orlando. Can we um can we head down the Orlando path a little bit? Sure. Okay. Uh, write down I four. Yeah, write down I four. Um, yeah, you can do four seventeen. I'll take four oh eight. Um, so uh, you mentioned the CD side of Orlando. I've lived in Orlando since two thousand one, and I just want to hear about the CD side of Orlando. Like, what's some of the crazier Orlando stories that you've run into? Oh, uh, how can you not see it though? I mean, think of the Pulse massacre and Christina Grimy and uh, Grimy, mm-hmm. Grimy, Grimy. I don't know. Grimy, Grimy, Grimy. Um. The Casey Kaylee Anthony case, George Zimmerman and the shooting and the killing of Trayvon Martin. Martin. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I mean, those are all just the famous murders, but people are murdered every day in Orlando. It's mm-hmm. bad. It, it is. Um, it's kind of one of the reasons why I want to leave Orlando, but uh, I love it in a lot of ways. 
but I think there's different sections of Orlando. There's like, you know, I think where I live, where, where most of us live is kind of a little bit separate from that stuff. Well, you're thinking maybe of like Crime Hills and uh, Paramore. You don't, you don't go for a walk in Paramore after dark alone. Uh, Exactly. And so, but then again, some of my personal favorites uh, stories come from like a group of women I used to have brunch with in Winter Park. I mean, they're constantly talking about their cheating cheapskate husbands and what they're going to do to them. And I mean, that that's CD, that's CD. I don't care if it is Winter Park, it's CD. And um, uh, I mean, this, I once dated a man who made his living out of contracting with corporations in the hospitality industry and then suing them for millions when they breached the contract. I called him the $28 million man because he sued Planet Hollywood for $28 million. He would He would contract for valet services or bathroom attendance. And when the big corporations or companies discovered that they could provide their own services more affordably and backed out, of the contract, he would sue them and he had really good lawyers. I mean, that's seedy, don't you think? Oh yeah, totally. That's seedy. And and that stuff is going on in Orlando all the time. It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. So it's not just, uh, just Disney and, uh, stuff like that. No, that, and that's, that's part of what the book shows you is that it's not all about theme parks and Mickey Mouse and, uh, Orlando is, is much more colorful than that. No, it was really, really interesting. I've, um, like I said, I was, I have not had a chance to read the book yet as I'm kind of mid 16 hour book. Rob is, I believe in the middle of the book and Jimmy has finished it and talked very highly of it. Oh no, I've, I've, I've finished the book. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. I read some of the book the other day in the car with Rob. I'm definitely, I'm definitely interested and I'm definitely going to pick it up. So I think for those of you that listen to the show and some of you guys might be new to the show because of, because you know, SK or something like that, what we usually do, the show is called Give Me Five Podcast because we usually talk about five things, then we follow up with some sort of question related to one of the five things or sometimes all of the five things or whatever. So since we have a special guest, I wanted specifically to ask SK who her five favorite literary in, literary influences are. So your favorite authors, writers, whatever you want to say. Okay. Uh, Michael Lawson Bishop is an American writer. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Over four decades and in more than 30 books, he's created what has been called a body of work that stands among the most admired and influential in modern science fiction and fantasy literature. He uh, was also my next door neighbor in Pine Mountain, Georgia, when I was growing up and I'd stay with my grandmother. And he is not there for all the fantastic stuff he wrote, even though it is fantastic. Uh, he's there because he loaned me books. Uh, when I was 14 years old, he he had a huge library that he had inherited from his father-in-law. And I would go over to his house and he would loan me books. And then after the reading was done, we would talk about them. And then that really encouraged my love of reading and writing. Do so you want me to go on? Oh, yeah, good. So that, actually, for, that's awesome. Like, I've, I think some of my, my closest friends from, from high school and stuff were the people that would tell me what to read or Anne Rice for her eloquent words that kept me fascinated for decades, her support and advice to new authors and for demanding civility across her social platforms. She has the one of my former favorite writers or one of my favorite writers. I just haven't read anything recently. Um, I haven't read her wolf series, the Wolverines. I haven't read that yet, but I've read everything else. She's written everything. 
everything. Um, so poetic. Yeah, just her her choice of words is just so eloquent, and she uh, her advice, like the the advice that I was going to give writers here, is uh, you know to, to take people's advice, but in the end, you're the one writing the story, and you have to decide what you are or are not going to do when you're writing, and that. That's something she really promotes. Carl Hyacin for skink and Florida and fun and for not giving a hoot if he loses fans over his political voice or environmental concerns. Hoot was a book he wrote about endangered owls. You like what I did there? Yes, actually, you know what? I was so happy he was on there because I know him. Oh, I love that man. Because I I used to work for the Independent Florida Alligator, which is the independent student newspaper up at University of Florida. And he was on the executive board because he also worked there. So I knew him in passing, but he used to come back and talk to the students um, in the late 90s. So I got a chance to meet him very briefly, but I I love his work. It's so tongue-in-cheek, but so good. I I follow him on Facebook, and of course I read all his Miami Herald articles. And I'm just so – I'm – enamored by this man and the way he stands up for what is right in our community of Florida. And, uh, you know, so many people have told me you don't put politics or social issues on your blog or talk about them or put them on Facebook or, and he says, no, I don't care whether I lose fans over this or not. I'm, this is my idea. This is where I'm coming from. This is how I feel about this. And I think, you know, Hey, yeah, wow. That's awesome. But um, And then John Barrent, the author of Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. I don't know if you read that book. It was a early 90s book or late 90s book. I, I did read it. I, it was also a movie, if I'm not mistaken. It was. Yes. And he really blazed the trail for independent publishers. And he introduced me to Chablis. If you remember, Chablis played herself in that movie. And... Um, I mean, she's a character and an individual who highly influenced the development of Brandy in Naked Alliances. That's my protagonist sidekick. So if you remember Chablis and you think about her, uh, Brandy was sort of sketched from Chablis. And then um, finally, Tim Dorsey, because of the way he weaves Florida history and historic sites into his book, but mostly because of the snort coffee through your nose hilarity. Oh my God, have you read his stuff? I have not. <laughs> uh, haven't I, I, I haven't. You have to read his stuff. His stuff is so funny. His anti-heroes That's, will crack you up. Especially- Tim Dorsey is the name, for those of you out there that Tim, didn't catch that. Yes, Tim Dorsey. And, um, I mean, if you're an old hippie, he'll really <laughs> have you cracking up. But Serge, Serge and Coleman are serial killers, but they only kill people who are trying to scam people in Florida. And Serge is a genius and Coleman is a stoner. Well, actually, he's more than a stoner. I mean, he takes a few acid trips, too. So it's not just being a stoner. (laughs) But there's a private investigator. But the antiheroes come up with these extremely creative methods to kill. And um, I'm not going to give any spoilers away except to say, think about death by lobster. Could you imagine death by lobster? Like eating... No, 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 not eating a lobster. You have to read the books. Tiger Shrimp Tango was the book that had. Tiger Shrimp. I'm so hungry now. (laughs) Uh, But that's, to me, that's the work 
a clever author. He's he's a very Tim Dorsey is a very clever author, and he's a Florida regional fiction author too. And I love my Florida regional fiction, especially Florida regional crime fiction. I like Randy Wayne White and some others too, but I could just keep listing Florida. Interesting. So that was the, that was the five there. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna run it down. Uh, Tim Dorsey. I'm gonna go backwards real quick. Tim Dorsey, uh, John Berent. Carl Hyacin, Anne Rice, and Michael Lawson Bishop. Awesome. So um, now on the show is when uh, we want you to sell some stuff to our to our listeners. So um, just real quick, you know, where can they find your book? Where can they find both your books? And where they where can they find you to find out more? Okay. Um, Red Clay and Roses is available across all platforms, uh, retail platforms like iTunes and. Um, Barnes and Noble and or do they even have Barnes and Noble anymore? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There's one right near my I house. So, yes. um, yep. and it's available in paperback and digital. And it's also on Amazon. Um and then uh Naked Alliances, which is book one of the Naked Eye series, is available on Amazon only, but you can get the paperback or the uh digital or the audio version, which I'm so glad you brought that up because I just love Stephen Barnett's work. I recommend the audio version. It's, it's it was very good. And then um, my I have a website sknichols.com and I have a email sknichols at sknichols.com. <laughs> See how complicated this is. That's that's it. sknichols.com and I have a blog sknichols.com. Um, can you spell out Nichols just for the people out there that are currently like driving? It's S K N I C H O L S. Two L's. O L L S. My bad. I apologize. Come on, Greg. Just in case any of our listeners are as dumb as me, it's a good idea to spell it out. Uh, and of course, we, for those of you listening, you can always check out our Facebook page and we will link to it and we will link to every possible thing um, that we can between the, the Amazon sites and the, the um, blog and all that kind of stuff. So, well, SK, thank you very much for coming on the show. And thank you so much for having me here. You guys are fun. Thank you. We're so glad you could join us. Well, guys, that was the Give Me Five podcast. Thank you for listening. And and we're sorry. <laughs> and we apologize for everything that you're about to hear after the end credits. Okay, that was our show, and I'd like to thank SK Nichols yet again. Uh, you might remember at the top of the episode that we mentioned that we were going to talk about Jumanji. Uh, well, we went a little bit long, and things got a little bit weird, so... uh Stick around after the end music. Also, remember, guys, you can always check out our Facebook page at Give Me Five Podcast. You can email us, give me five podcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can always check out our store, the uh, Give Me Five Podcast.threadless.com. Really cool stuff with our logo on it, and uh, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Rob, so what did you think of Jumanji? Oh man, well I would, and I think I told you guys this um, before I went to go see it. I was, I was really actually kind of looking forward to it. Yeah, um, I wasn't, I wasn't sure what they were going to do with it, if they were going to retell the story or if they were going to continue the story. And honestly, what they did was they continued it, um, mm-hmm. and they actually had 
had one or two head nods to the original, um, which I thought was really neat. Uh, but the the movie itself was really really entertaining. It's it's actually a fairly good family movie that you can go to see with like your your kids and stuff like that. There's there's a couple if if you don't mind like dick jokes. There's there's a couple of dick references in in that one of the characters who is a girl in real life is put into Jack Black's body. So there's a couple of there's a couple of dick jokes and dick references um as far as that goes. But all in all it's it's a fairly good family movie and it's one that everybody can go see and enjoy. Everybody in the movie did a fantastic job. The Rock was great. Jack Black was fantastic. He's usually good at most of the stuff he does. Um, the 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 girl, what's her name? The redhead. Um, she was in Guardians. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally didn't recognize yeah. her, but I'm, I'm going. Who is she? I've seen her before. I've seen her before. But I she's from Doctor. She's from Doctor Who as well. Yeah, I totally didn't know that she was Nebula from Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, it, 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 I, we had to look it up for, or no, actually somebody told me. Karen, like, Karen Gillen. That's it. That's it. And, and they're like, yeah, that's, that's, uh, Nebula from Guardians. I was like, no way. Oh, she looks totally different. But still, I was able to like recognize her a little bit. So basically, the premise of the story is in order for the game to get played, it's got to adapt and change, you know, because in the nineties, it's found by a kid who's like, nobody plays board games anymore and sets it aside. So the game magically morphs itself into a video game because, you know, kids play those. Um, so you see, you see one kid gets sucked up. I mean, that's the story of Jumanji, you know, a kid gets sucked up, never comes out. But it, then, um, some, some kids clean it up in detention, find it. And instead of doing detention, they decide to play the game and they get sucked in. And it's all about them, you know, like with everything Jumanji, them trying to get out of the game. The people on my computer screen are moving around, and my microphone is attacking me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. But the it was it was actually <laughs> everybody missed it right before we started this segment. Jimmy said he's all doped up our narcotics. I don't know why he's taking pain pills and stuff like that, but yeah. Ooh, sleeping. A, sleeping, a sleeping pill a sleeping pill yeah. oh okay okay <laughs> um no so the uh you know what's funny I, I will admit i have not seen the original jumanji all the way through i have oh really i enjoy not it. my n- not my kind of movie I don't, I don't know why fun. Uh, we were kids yeah i have no soul <laughs> i didn't see a lot of those movies from the 80s and 90s um to be honest i kind of had to go go back and see them later Let on them but... the jungle! wow <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so anyway, um, wow. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm gonna, hell, the hell am I going to add to this one? Um, oh, anyway, the movie is really enjoyable. It's a good family movie. <laughs> it's a good family movie. You should check it out. I recommend it. Do you learn to live like an animal? Yes. <laughs> so far off the rails. <laughs> I think I have an idea. Okay. So anyway, uh, just just stop it. <laughs> just oh, we just, we, we, just we cut your losses. <laughs> but we we got but we have to say goodbye. 
<laughs> Goodbye. Uh, Jimmy, anything to share? <laughs> And we'll cut that out. <laughs> You're gonna die!